This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Cholly. What a day! Have you got any popcorn left? Uh, I'm, of course, talking about PMQs. And there's this other thing before PMQs. There's this guy that was talking. We'll probably uh, touch on that uh, in a sec. Um, PMQs unpacked. Boris Johnson versus Keir Starmer. Patrick Maguire joining me this week to unpick exactly uh, how Boris Johnson uh, reacted to those extraordinary claims from Dominic Cummings. That's coming up next. First, our economist panel, no Alice Thompson today. Today, her role will be taken by John Stephens from the Daily Mail. Uh, so it's John Stephens and Robert Crampton. First of all, in a, in a sentence, your initial thoughts so far, uh, Robert Crampton. Well, I thought it started quite slowly and now he's warming up with the Hancock thing. And I think he just mentioned Trump and the CIA, which is is (laughs) pretty tasty. Uh, To begin with, I thought he's come to bury Boris and he's he's actually burying himself. He keeps apologising. I mean, I think, you know, he he kind of, I mean, it speaks well of him in a way, but it, it, it was more about general incompetence and chaos and his his own failings and everybody's failings. But now he's getting into the specifics of it a bit, a bit more. Uh, I mean, well done to Rosie Cooper. Uh, she, uh, and also well done to Jeremy Hunt. Made, it left me thinking, I wish Jeremy Hunt had won the Tory leadership election. <laughs> Well, although, although listening to it, you wonder if Dominic Cummings wishes that Jeremy Hunt had won the Tory leadership yes, contest. Indeed. Um, John, yeah. your, your initial thoughts? Well, I think the key things that we've learned is that the government was ill-prepared, it moved too slow and it was chaos inside number 10, which is all things I think that everyone in the country knew that that Ooh. was the case. But hearing the actual details of it and hearing Dominic Cummings settling all these scores, going through everyone like Boris Johnson, Carrie, the dog, Mark Sedwell, Matt <laughs> Hancock, you know, one by one, throwing out these grenades of accusations against them. I think that has got the potential to actually be quite damaging. 
I suppose it, it's the confirmation, yeah, official confirmation, you know, it's clearly his version of events, but an official confirmation of what lots of people suspect anyway is still well, uh, is still notable. Um, let's dip in and um, just, we've sort of picked out some of the, the highlights or, you know, the most significant moments so far. Uh, this was Dominic Cummings kicking off what almost, uh, more than an hour and a half ago now. He started with a, with a very clear statement, apologised to the families who've lost loved ones during the pandemic, saying the government had failed them. I think it's right that the um, public selected representatives are trying to uh, figure out what happened and the lessons to be learned. I hope you'll get all the senior people involved uh, in here to, to, to speak to you about it. The truth is that senior ministers, senior officials, senior advisers like me fell disastrously short of the standards that the public has a right to expect of its government in a crisis like this. When the public needed us most, the government failed. And I'd like to say to all the families of those who, uh, who died unnecessarily how sorry I am for the mistakes that were made and for my own mistakes at that. Yeah, we had quite a lot of uh, messages in on that. Jeff saying, refreshing to see someone accept responsibility for failure. The proper damage will be done on second lockdown delay, though, which actually they haven't even got on to uh, yet. Um, uh, Rebecca saying, pretty much reflects what the press could have been focusing on. Refreshing to get a straight apology, whether meant or not. It's something we've become unaccustomed to. But then David says he's a man so far of his depth that he should never have been allowed near the centre. Anna says, uh, my thoughts are with the families of the 130,000 people who are no longer with us and the many, many thousands whose lives have been changed forever. The, uh, this really is awful. And I suppose that's the the important uh, uh, thing so far is that, you know, he was very clear uh, up front, uh, Dominic Cummings, uh, apologising to all those affected. Um, do you think that we've learnt something sort of devastatingly new John Stevens that we didn't that we really didn't know before that it, it, it diverges from the uh, the narrative of you know journalists uh, you know we've had books already written on it is there something that we didn't know before I think so far no there's been no key thing that he's come out and said that I've thought oh my goodness I cannot believe that happened you know there have been obviously all of these allegations about how there were mistakes in government there hasn't been so far one key thing that we've learned that you think, oh, my gosh, that's going to bring down the government. But obviously, it sounds like there's hours and hours more to go. <laughs> and also, you know, at one point he said that he was willing to hand over the text messages and WhatsApps between him and the prime minister. Obviously, the committee were keen to kind of get his agreement to get as much hoover up as much information as they can. <laughs> I think, you know, he's not, Dominic Cummings isn't going to stop. And I don't think Team Carrie are going to stop briefing against him. I think that's the possible problem for the government is it isn't going to just end here today. It's just going to keep going. I suppose that's, I mean, given, I mean, you're right, when you listed all the people who sort of had drive-by shootings on, we've had, you know, Donald, <laughs> Donald Trump was trying to bomb the Middle East. Uh, Carrie was particularly upset about a story in the Times about the dog. And in the middle of all this, he was sort of raising the alarm uh, uh, about uh, how to respond to uh, coronavirus. Uh, let's take a little of this to another clip. Uh, this is Dominic Cummings telling the committee that despite seeing the risks of COVID on the news, it was still not, not really a government prior priority throughout much of January and February last year. Government itself, and number 10, was not operating on a war footing in February on this in any way, shape or form. Lots of key people were literally skiing in the middle of February. It wasn't until um, it wasn't until the last week of February that there was e really any sort of sense of urgency. I would say across the uh, um, in terms of number ten, the cabinet office. Would you say that you were operating on, the, on a war footing in February? 
Um, as I said before, I think in the first 10 days or so of February, no, uh, because there were all sorts of things going on. There was the HS2 nightmare, there was, um, there was the reshuffle going on, and then that happened on the 12th, and then the PM went away on, on holiday for two weeks. Um, and then after that, I, I didn't go on holiday. I was in Downing Street throughout that period, and I, um, I spent more and more of my, uh, of, of my, of my time on it. However, and again, I want to apologise for this. I didn't... Um, obviously, in retrospect, I should have been hitting the panic button far more than I was in February. I did increasingly hit the panic button as February went on, but um, uh, I, like most people, um, I think were wrongly reassured um, by things like WHO and about what we were being told internally. Uh, that was uh, him discussing the uh, the impact uh, back in January and February. He sent it lots of people on holiday uh, back in uh, February. Um, uh, do you get the sense that he's um, yet landing this idea, Robert Crampton? Is Dominic Cummings landing the idea that he was... He doesn't seem to be... So far, at least, doesn't feel as if he was the all-knowing genius at the heart. You know, he was clearly panicked like everyone else was. Yeah. Um but was forced to admit, under some pretty decent questioning, actually, from both Greg Clark and Jeremy Hunt, for instance, that he did not say, why is Cheltenham and Liverpool going ahead? He now says he wishes he had done. But I imagine there's quite a lot of people at the centre of government who now wishes they'd they'd uh, sounded the alarm earlier. Yeah, quite. I mean, he hasn't been able to say uh, that he was sound, he was a, a lone voice in the wilderness with Churchill in the 1930s saying, you know, this is all terrible and this is, and I've you know, been warning against this. I mean, he, he obviously didn't do that. I think... Uh, there's a couple of things that, in terms of you, you said, in terms of revelations, I thought it was interesting that the cabinet secretary thought Matt Hancock should be sacked. I hadn't heard that before, uh, and also I think Cummings, in his apology, he said that people have died unnecessarily. Now, that getting that out into the public discourse, I think, is quite significant because we haven't actually heard that before. That yeah. you, the government saying that people died who didn't need to have died yeah that opens up a whole i mean rosie cooper was talking about corporate manslaughter i mean that that opens up a whole avenue of attack in terms of uh incompetence and and so therefore the general air of chaos rather than saying oh well okay they didn't know what they're doing governments never do it it becomes rather more significant doesn't it Yes, I think that's and I suppose it's sort of implied about you know no one thinks that you know this is the absolute minimum number of people that that, that might have died. No, it's slightly it different. He's, but he's just put it out. He's there. just really put it out there, and yeah. uh, and that's really. And interesting. I do think that I think that is. That, I mean that that is a bit of a headline for me. If he's if if Cummings yeah. says people died who didn't need to die, we sort of knew it, but he said it. You, and that, you and also... that makes the. That makes the incompetence a completely different order, doesn't it? John Stevens? Yeah, I thought one of the particularly interesting moments was when Dominic Cummings was asked, why didn't you push the PM harder to kind of bring in lockdown, bring in these measures? And he said, what, but what if I was wrong? I didn't know if I was right or wrong. And mm. I think that's the problem that everyone had in government. There wasn't, it wasn't that everyone knew the right thing to do and that was deliberately ignored, that no one mm. had the kind of best information we were learning about this virus. And I think that is kind of the biggest get out for Boris Johnson and Downing Street was that none of this was done maliciously, that a lot of the mistakes that were made 
were just made because it was just a chaotic situation, even though stuff like the preparation hadn't been done properly. Uh, Robert, you mentioned uh, his comments on uh, Matt Hancock. Let's just take a listen to to what uh, Dominic Cummings had to say about the health secretary. I think that the Secretary of State for Health should have been fired for at least 15, 20 things, including lying to everybody in multiple occasions, in meeting after meeting in the in the cabinet room and publicly. I mean, that's pretty strong. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we need the evidence. I mean, it, it's like the, it's like the you know Boris saying bodies piling up in the streets. Uh, people want to see the evidence. I mean, and actually, actually, interestingly, um, Rosie Cooper, the Labour MP on the committee, asked Dominic Cummings about that uh, bodies piled up uh, in the streets comment, but she did it as part of a two-part question. And he only answered the other part, and then they sort of yeah. moved on. It was somebody else's. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone, uh, if anyone comes back to that. Um, uh, and I suppose the key thing that we need to remember in all of this is that it wasn't Matt Hancock that was fired. It was Dominic Cummings. And he is a mm. witness in all this. But this is, you know, his truth is not necessarily the truth, John Stephen. Yeah, and I think that he's not necessarily helped himself in advance of today's hearing by putting out all of the tweets over the last few days that... He has looked like a man with a grudge, a kind of former employee who's got these scores to settle. And even though what he does say, I think it will get a lot of attention, a lot of it does have the uh, potential to be hugely damaging for the government. I don't think he's helped himself by putting all all these tweets out there the last few days. He does look like an eccentric who kind of wants (laughs) to take down the government. And I think that will be kind of, do people trust him or do they trust Boris Johnson more? And I think a lot of the public will be suspicious of Dominic Cummings, especially after what happened last year with the whole Barnard Castle debacle. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. I I had a... um... Uh, I was chatting I think one day last week to a, uh, a minister who'd been in the room for some of those early meetings and uh, was, yeah, was, was quite surprised given that, you know, that Dominic comes quite often was just sort of sitting at the back of those meetings. Uh, the main thing they remember from his contribution was what a mess he looked, you know, turning up in his <laughs> gardening clothes and he could barely do up his shoelaces was the phrase he was used to me. Uh, and, you know, he's sort of wise after the event now, but I suppose it's one of those things in that, that ultimately someone has to make a decision. You know, the Bo- Boris Johnson's the one who has to make the decision. It's on his shoulders whatever the decision he makes in terms of the impact on the economy the impact on uh, public health and um you know dominic cummings although he might have thought he was well in the country for large parts of this ultimately it's the prime minister's decision he he has all this advice coming at him from scientists from medical people from political people from super forecasters and he's the one who has to sort of absorb all this information robert uh, yes, I mean, yeah, and people will, uh, I think, will and have been very forgiving of the fact that uh, the wrong decisions were made or, or, or the right decisions were not taken or they were taken too late because it was a, it was a, 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 a chaotic, difficult, unprecedented situation, uh, and they and and they're generally willing to forgive Boris a great deal, aren't they? Uh, in a way that they perhaps they take a look at Dominic Cummings and think, hmm, I'm not, you know, I'm not entirely sure about this man. Uh, but what they won't forgive, if, if he can substantiate these allegations about the uh, the price that Boris was prepared to pay to avoid the second lockdown, they will not forgive that. But he needs to uh, he needs to give us some evidence. John, yeah, I think in the, especially in this first section. You know, when he's been talking a lot about the stage advisors, the scientists got it wrong. They were feeding us the wrong information. 
you think that's almost quite helpful for Boris Johnson? Yeah. That he was getting this information that then turned out to be wrong. He's been provided oh. with these strategies which turned out to be ineffective and the wrong thing to do. And so if you're Boris Johnson, you can say, well, what what was I meant to do? You know, Boris Johnson's yeah. obviously not an expert in, you know, diseases like this. And so he was doing what he thought was best on the information he had available, that even though Dominic Cummings is clearly no Boris Johnson fan anymore, I think certainly in this first section, some of the stuff he said has been quite helpful in that way. But as Robert says, as we come on to the later stuff about the second lockdown, you know, last November, you know, what happened around Christmas time, I think that's where he's got the potential to be slightly more damaging. John Stevens and Robert Crumbs. Now, of course, you can read Robert in The Times magazine every Saturday. And, of course, you can read me in The Times on a Saturday too. Uh, just get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Right, up next, after those claims from Dominic Cummings, let's find out how Boris Johnson responded. It's PMQ's Unpacked. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley. And Patrick Maguire. So you you must get Lindsay Hall to sort that out. Yes, we do need to get get a whole load of those so that uh, we've got all bases covered. So Tim Shipman's away this week. I assume that wherever he is on his holidays, he's got a big bucket of popcorn in front of him and uh, while he's been watching Dominic Cummings. So we are now, what, two and a half hours in? Patrick, what's your main takeaway from it? Um, I think Matt Hancock is going to spend this afternoon drafting a lengthy statement or op-ed that may appear in a newspaper tomorrow um, defending himself against those allegations is my, is my main takeaway. That's interesting. You think that's the... I, mean, I suppose in terms of a lot of this is, you know, there's lots of dates and timings and... Uh, reproduction values and all of that, but the, the 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 raw politics of the prime minister's most senior, you know, only what six months ago, prime minister's most senior aide appearing in public to give what the current sitting prime minister, it's fair to say, quite a kicking, revealing that he at one point wanted to be injected on television with coronavirus. That's quite a thing. Well, and also saying putting him on a par with Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, 
uh, with, with whom Dom Cummings worked to um, to keep out of power with Boris Johnson. And that's that's the interesting thing. You know, why if he thought he was so awful, why did you campaign for him to remain as uh, prime minister? That's one interesting uh, question. Uh, but there's a lot of politics. He said that Matt Hancock should be fired. Um, uh, some of the others, you know, Rishi Sunak seems to have come a bit quite well. Actually, Chris Whitty, Patrick Vallance seem to seem to come out of it all right so far. We'll have to wait and see uh, what happens when we uh, get on to the uh, second lockdown. But we know that Keir Starmer has been watching all morning. This is a big test for him as uh, leader of the opposition. Uh, how hard do you think he's going to go on it all? Well, there's a wealth of material there. And we know Keir Starmer is often uncomfortable or disinclined to go to the jugular himself in his own words. But now he can uh, quote WhatsApp <laughs> tweets in abundance. And let, let's find out how, how much of the last two and a half hours he's just going to read out. Let's go live to the House of Commons. This is Keir Starmer. It's the leader of the opposition... Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about Hillsborough and Mike Weatherby? Mr Speaker, this morning the Prime Minister's former closest adviser said, when the public needed us most, the government failed. Does the Prime Minister agree with that? Uh, Mr Speaker, the handling of this pandemic has been one of the uh, most difficult things this country has had to do for a very long time. And none of the decisions have been easy to go into a lockdown is a traumatic thing for a country. Uh, to deal with a pandemic on this scale has been appallingly difficult, and we've at every stage uh, tried to minimise loss of life, to save lives, to protect the NHS, and we have followed the best scientific advice that we, that we can, Mr Speaker. And there, in a nutshell, is politics. Uh, the criticism uh, that you uh, failed, you let, you, know, you let the country down, and Boris Johnson's response is... This is an incredibly difficult thing. We did our best. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, we try to minimise loss of life. The implication being it didn't always go perfectly well. Yes, uh, there are two things. One, um, there's the old line about, um, I may have even listened to it on Times Radio earlier, um, about uh, voters not caring about how crises begin, but how they end, government's passing on that metric. But the second thing, saying it's not easy, I say there's one flaw with Dominic Cummings' testimony, his argument, is that so much of it relies on a sort of deus ex machina argument where he says, if only you'd read this book on super forecasting or if only you'd put this data scientist friend of mine in charge that nobody's ever heard of. It's all sort of, if only Superman was in charge of the pandemic response, things would have been <laughs> fine. And Whereas the government, um, quite rightly, or, you know, uh, perceptively, uh, is betting on the public... Uh, having sympathy for the fallibility of humans facing a totally unprecedented uh, policy question. There is also, I mean, this is a sort of side point, this, but there's also something ironic about Keir Starmer now, uh, you know, aligning himself with Dominic Cummings uh, when the Labour Party had done so much to discredit him and criticise him following the trip to Barnard Castle. And even at one point during the... Uh, local election campaign this year. Their messaging for a couple of days was that Dominic Cummings had a pay rise and nurses had another pay and yet now he's a great ally. Well, anyway, let's go back. Question two from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, can I remind the Prime Minister that one year ago, almost to the day, he described his former adviser as, in his words, in every respect, acting responsibly, legally and with integrity. This morning, that same adviser has said that senior ministers fell, his words, disastrously short of the standards that the public has a right to expect of its government and that lives were lost as a result. Does the Prime Minister accept that central allegation and that his inaction 
led to needless deaths. Uh, no, Mr. Speaker, and uh, of course all those matters will be uh, reviewed in the, in the course of uh, the public inquiry that I have announced. I, I notice that he is fixated as ever on the, on the rearview mirror, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, whilst we uh, on this side of the House are getting on uh, with our job of rolling out the vaccines, uh, making sure that we protect the people of this country. And that, I think, has been uh, the decisive uh, development on which I think people are rightly focusing. And I can tell the House that in spite of the continuing concern that we have about the, uh, the Indian variant, uh, we are increasing our vaccination program at such a rate that we can now ask everybody over 30 to come forward, Mr Speaker, and get vaccinated. Oh, and there we are again. I mean, I, I, actually, Boris Johnson's immediate answer is most interesting. Keir Starmer saying, uh, do you accept that your actions led to needless deaths? And he replies, no, Mr Speaker. Well, that is a direct rebuke to almost everything Dominic Cummings has said this morning. And it's interesting that he immediately followed that with the segue into... Uh, but nobody wants to talk about that anyway. Yeah, which you're, is, you're um, fixated on the rear-view mirror. Which, interestingly, is what Grant Shapps, uh, on the broadcast round this morning, said about Dominic Cummings himself. Clearly, the government believes that Keir Starmer and Dominic Cummings, who have now both been branded Captain Hindsight, I don't know what happens in the hindsight army when you've got two non-commissioned officers of the well, same somebody, rank. Somebody uh, uh, texted in earlier saying uh, he's Field Marshal Hindsight, <laughs> uh, Dominic Cummings, because he was uh, obviously a bit, more, uh, a bit more senior. But yeah, I suppose that's the ult- ultimately politically to get through this. Dom- Boris Johnson can just do what he's done, you know, and why he did so well in the local elections and everything else, focus on you know, the vaccine, and rightly or wrongly, and people who really dislike Boris Johnson really hate this, but a bit of recency bias, the fact that people think the vaccine programme's going well, the fact that people are quite forgiving about an unprecedented thing hit, and we didn't have a precedent to base our reaction to, but certainly back in March anyway. But interestingly, uh, Boris Johnson saying, no, he's not responsible, begs the question, well, when he comes to give his testimony, who is he going to blame? Is... And, you know, an, int- an intriguing passage in Dominic Cummings' line was uh, Mark Sedwill, the Cabinet Secretary, and the Prime Minister both agreeing that Matt Hancock was a bit rubbish. So when the time comes, will he throw Matt Hancock onto the bus as well? Uh, do let us know what you think about this. You can text us 87222, start your message with the word Times. What do you think about the exchanges at PMQs? Um, packed. Uh, let's go back to the House Commons. Question three. Mr Speaker, it's no good the Prime Minister attacking me. It's his former chief, it's his former chief advisor who's looking back and telling the world how useless the Prime Minister was in taking key decisions. His former adviser. One of the most serious points made this morning is that the Prime Minister failed to recognise the severity of this virus until it was too late, dismissing it as, quote from this morning, another scare story, like the swine flu. Does the Prime Minister recognise that account of his own behaviour? And if so, will he apologise for being so complacent about the threat that this virus posed? Uh, Mr Speaker, I don't think anybody could credibly accuse this government of being complacent about the threat that this virus posed at at any any point. We have worked flat out, Mr Speaker, to minimise loss of life, to protect the NHS, while they have flip-flopped, Mr Speaker, from one uh, position to another. 
uh, backing curfew one day, opposing it the next, backing lockdowns one day, opposing it the next, calling for tougher border controls one day, uh, then saying that quarantine is a blunt instrument the next. Mr Speaker, we have got on with the job of protecting the people of this country from one of the worst pandemics uh, in living memory, if not the worst in living memory. We have turned the corner and it is no thanks, Mr Speaker, to the loyal opposition opposite. Well, not so loyal opposition, but, uh, possibly. Um, I feel like we've been here before. Um, I'm not sure that uh, um, when Keir Starmer talks about, um, you know, now trying to, to, to quote uh, Dominic Cummings, it necessarily worked. The thing that... Have you read Danny Finkelstein's column in the Times? Today? I always read Danny Finkelstein's um, column. Because uh, he's there talking about... He was your former advisor. He's your former advisor now says that you've... Uh, uh, made a mess of it. And Danny's column is really interesting on this. Is that basically what did Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings think was going to happen when they shackled themselves to each other? How on earth could Boris, and, uh, Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings have thought that their story was going to end in any other way to us basically ending up in this situation? You know, uh, Boris Johnson obviously thought that he could change Dominic Cummings. Dominic Cummings thought he could change Boris Johnson. Uh, and we are where we are. But also, as you say, we've been here before in that crucially... Labour's critique, i.e. that the government was too slow to do X, Y, Z, it was slow on locking down, it was slow on PPE, it was slow on a second lockdown and a circuit breaker. These are all questions Keir Starmer has asked of the government before. And the fact that they are now accompanied by damning testimony from Dominic Cummings doesn't change the substance of the arguments being advanced on both sides. So the reason why it doesn't feel like Keir Starmer, despite the absolutely explosive, seismic, sensational morning we've had in the committee room, delete is applicable, um, it doesn't feel like he's knocking out of the park because this is a fairly run-of-the-mill session of PMQs with new topical hooks for familiar questions that the Prime Minister has answered before and given by now very well-worn arguments and to, for his defence. I think that's probably the sense that so far, at least, uh, Keir Starmer's questions have been quite broad and not on some of the very clear specifics. Mm-hmm. For instance, did you ask Chris Whitty to inject you with coronavirus <laughs> on TV would be not a bad question to ask. But anyway, let's go back to the House of Commons and see if Keir Starmer thinks to ask it. Mr Speaker, I can see that the evidence of his former advisor is really getting to the Prime Minister this morning in that response. Another incredibly serious statement from the Prime Minister's former advisor this morning concerns the conduct of the Health Secretary, including an allegation that the Health Secretary misled other ministers and officials on a number of occasions. Now, I don't expect the Prime Minister to respond to that, but can he confirm from this morning's evidence... Can the Prime Minister... Can he confirm... Did the Cabinet Secretary advise him, the Prime Minister that he, the Cabinet Secretary, had, quote, lost faith in the Health Secretary's honesty? Uh, the, the answer to that is no, Mr Speaker, and uh, I'm afraid I haven't had the benefit of, uh, of seeing the evidence that, he, uh, that he's bringing to the, to the oh. House, but I, I, I must say that I think what the people of this country want us all to do uh, is to get on uh, with the delicate business now of trying to reopen our economy and restore people's, uh, restore people's freedoms, get back to our way of life by rolling out the vaccine. I would have thought that that was a, a much more profitable line of inquiry uh, for the right honourable gentleman today. And that's why I think the people of this country want us to focus on. Well, the mo- I'm afraid I haven't had the benefit of seeing the evidence he's bringing to the House today. So Boris Johnson obviously taking the decision not to watch, so therefore he can't respond to any of the, the claims. Probably wise. <laughs> uh, 
as a as a tactic. Although he did then reject the suggestion that Mark, uh, Mark Sedwell, the then cabinet secretary, had suggested sacking uh, Matt Hancock uh, back in uh, March of last year. Yes, and ex- well, exactly. And 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 herein lies the problem for Keir Starmer trying to brandish Dominic Cummings's um, oral testimony, as it were, as a as a trump card, because it is fundamentally a case of he said, he said, and without. Um, Note, by the way, that Dominic Cummings has not been playing the uh, much-vaunted audio recordings of everything the Prime Minister ever said privately um, to the Select Committee. In the absence of documentary evidence, and for the most explosive claims, there is still very little. Um, Keir Starmer is leaving himself vulnerable to um, being uh, swatted away quite yeah, he's, it, it, he's asking quite broad questions and he's getting quite broad answers and we're not uh, we're probably not getting very far on, on that. But, I mean, a, a bit of support for Matt Hancock, but not masses from Boris Johnson, as we say. Anyway, let's go back. This is now question number five from Keir Starmer. Well, speaker, the Prime Minister can't have it both ways. Either his former advisor is telling the truth, in which case the Prime Minister should answer the allegations... Or the Prime Minister has to suggest that his former advisor is not telling the truth, which raises serious questions about the Prime Minister's judgment in appointing him in the first place. There's a pattern of behaviour here. There was clearly a lack of planning, poor decision-making and a lack of transparency. And a Prime Minister who was absent from the key decisions, including five early COBRA meetings, and who was, to quote his former advisor, a thousand percent too obsessed with the media. But another central allegation briefed overnight is that the Prime Minister delayed the circuit break over the autumn half term because, quotes, COVID was only killing 80-year-olds. Can I remind the Prime Minister that over 83,000 people over 80 lost their lives to this virus and that his decision to delay for 40 days from the sage guidance on the 21st of September until the 31st of October will be seen as one of the single biggest failings of the last year. Does the, now having been told of the evidence, does the Prime Minister accept that he used the words COVID was only killing 80-year-olds or words to those effect? Prime Minister. Mr. Mr. Speaker, uh, we, we saw what happened uh, during the, the pandemic, and particularly, he talks about the, uh, the September lockdown and, uh, and my approach to it and the, uh, the, the very, very difficult decision that the country faced. And, uh, of course, this will be a matter for the inquiry to, uh, to go into, but we have a, an objective test, Mr Speaker, in the, in the sense that uh, there was a circuit breaker of the kind he describes uh, in Wales. Uh, it did not work, and, uh, and I'm afraid, Mr Speaker, I'm absolutely confident that we took the decisions in the best interests of the, of the British people. It, and uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to hindsight, Mr Speaker, I could just, just remind the right honourable gentleman that he actually, I mean, he denied this at the time but, and then had to correct it, but he voted to stay in the European Medicines Agency, Mr Speaker, which would have made it impossible... This really is a greatest hit sedition of PMQs. ...to do the vaccine rollout at the pace that we have. There we are, Patrick McGuire. Interestingly, not a denial on the substance of the allegation. Just as uh, if you if you recall that uh, heady Sunday night when the uh, Daily Mail front page talking about letting the bodies pile high uh, first broke, Danny Street were unequivocal and said this did not happen. But every time you get a minister at the dispatch box, 
fielding a similar allegation. Michael Gove um, didn't categorically deny that. That definitely wasn't a categorical denial. Um, they 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 uh, choose not to to be so unambiguous. So I, I, that's that's mildly interesting. If the rest of the answer um, <laughs> was very much not drifted off into the European Medicines Agency uh, 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 and all of that. Um, it, I mean, in terms of the art of PMQs and uh, you know exploiting this crisis for political advantage. So far, do you think Keir Starmer is doing enough to insert himself into this? I mean, essentially, the star of the show today is Dominic Cummings. But, you know, a, a real political skill is to insert yourself into the story of the day. I would say Keir Starmer is encountering the problem he always faces, and that he is not indeed inserting himself into the narrative. But he's leaving himself vulnerable, as, look, any, any opposition leader would in a pandemic, of... Um, to use an Irish phrase, hurling from the ditch um, or, you know, backseat driving um, to say after you've missed the junction, oh, you really ought to have, you really ought to have left the motorway there. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a position that garners uh, very little public sympathy or political capital for obvious reasons. And for, I mean, clearly lots of you have texted in uh, basically saying this, that this is, you know, for, if you're a political nerd, this is absolute, you know, this is crack in terms of uh, your... Uh, your obsessions, but you know we shouldn't forget in that poll you go poll you had in Red Box this week. Fourteen percent of people say they uh, trust Dominic Cummings to tell the truth on coronavirus. So he's not an he's not uh, um, necessarily a although he's fascinating to listen to. He's not necessarily a trusted witness uh, for the country. No, and ultimately, who in their right mind is paying close attention? like you and I are, to a joint <laughs> sitting of the health and science select committees. <laughs> well, uh, valued uh, Times Radio listeners, but yes, I accept that they are. Yes, they were sorry. class above all, uh, all uh, the rest of the country. OK, let's go back. Let's see if Keir Starmer can pull it all together and land a punch uh, uh, with his final question at PMQs. Mr Speaker, it's not me giving evidence this morning. It's his former adviser. And I note the Prime Minister is careful not to refute these allegations. Mr Speaker, what we're seeing today is the latest chapter of a story of confusion, chaos and deadly misjudgments from this government, from a Prime Minister governing by press release, not a plan. In the last 24 hours, we've seen the same mistakes made again, with the ridiculous way 1.7 million people in Bolton, Burnley, Bedford, Blackburn, Kirklees, Hounslow, Leicester and North Tyneside have been treated. In the light of the drip of these very serious allegations and the failure of the Prime Minister to provide even basic answers and continuing mistakes affecting millions of people, does the Prime Minister now recognise he must bring forward the timing of the public inquiry into COVID and that it should start this summer and as soon as possible? No, Mr Speaker, as I've said before, uh, I'm not going to consecrate valuable official time on that now uh, whilst we're still uh, battling a pandemic. And I thought, actually, that was what the House had agreed on. And, Mr Speaker, he continues to play these pointless uh, political games uh, whilst we get on with delivering on the people's priorities. 14 new hospitals, 8,771 more police on our streets. Now, we're getting on with sorting out the railways, uh, Mr Speaker. We're giving the, people, the young people the opportunity of home ownership in a way they've never had before with 95% more mortgages and 
Ireland, we've vaccinated, we've, done, we've delivered 60 million vaccinations across this country. More, and he loves these European comparisons, Mr Speaker, more than any other European country, including 22 million second doses. And that, with great respect to the right on the I believe that is the priority of the British people. That is really uh, what they're focused on, uh, whilst he voted to stay in the European Medicines Agency. They vacillate, Mr Speaker. We vaccinate. They, they deliberate. We deliver. Uh, and you might have noticed there's a bit more noise in the background there. There are actually a few more MPs in the House of Commons than uh, there have been for some time. There's a slight relaxation of the rules. Um, although uh, not huge cheers from either side, really, there. In the light of the drip, that's probably one of my favourite visual metaphors from uh, Keir Starmer there, he, he uh, suggested the uh, the public inquiry should be brought forward to the summer and got a straightforward no. Yes, again, an answer the Prime Minister has given before. And look, ultimately, a lot of politics, um, a lot of political messaging is asking the same question or making the same point again and again and again and again. Um, until such time as the public notice and agree with you, or until such time as you can elicit a change in direction from your opponents. Um, unfortunately for Keir Starmer, at the moment he's getting neither, and he's not going to get either for the foreseeable future. I mean, watching that exchange, and indeed watching the entire exchange between Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson, you, you just think, who would be leader of the opposition? One, who would be leader of the opposition during a pandemic? And three, who would be leader of the Labour Party? Uh, <laughs> I actually wonder, and he sort of touched on it in the sixth question, might he have been better focusing on handling of the pandemic now, the confusion? He listed all those country, uh, countries, all those uh, towns and cities where they'd suddenly had these rules changed. You know, confusion right now, and maybe maybe referring it back to uh, Dominic Cummings. Yes, because Labour's, Labour still have this... They're not doing. They're much more willing to uh, criticise the government than they were in the early days of the pandemic for obvious reasons. But they still have this sort of vestigial desire to be um, constructive, be perceived as constructive. But the risk, if you focus all your criticism on a bit of the pandemic that most of the public are inclined to now forget or give the government the benefit of the doubt, and you implicitly accept the government's argument, well, it's hard not to that the vaccine rollout is going brilliantly. And if that, and if you, if you, and you know, and that your focus is on uh, the first half of the pandemic, as you say, you're neglecting areas where it's still possible to make hay, to draw a line of continuity between the start, the disaster, the chaos and confusion at the start of the pandemic, and now, rather than implicitly accepting the government's argument that it was rubbish then, but we've really got a grip on it now. Yeah, that would be a sort of slightly different uh, uh, way to sort of tie it all together. Well, that was uh, Keir Starmer's attempt at taking on uh, Boris Johnson. Let's hear now from Ian Blackford, the SNP leader in Westminster. Uh, this is what he had to say. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I associate myself with any remarks of Prime Minister for those seeking justice for Hillsborough to quote the song, You'll Never Walk Alone? Mr Speaker... 128,000 people have died of coronavirus in the United Kingdom. This morning, the Prime Minister's most senior former adviser, Dominic Cummings, apologised on behalf of the UK Government. He said, when the public needed us most, we failed. We know that the Prime Minister made a series of catastrophic errors throughout the crisis. He went on holiday when he should have been leading efforts to tackle the pandemic. He was too slow to go into lockdown. He failed to secure our borders. He sent millions of people back to their offices prematurely. There is no doubt that these mistakes cost many thousands of lives. 
When even a disgraced figure like Dominic Cummings is willing to own up and apologise, isn't it time that the Prime Minister does the same? Yes. And Mr Speaker, I take full responsibility for everything that has happened. I'm, and I've said, as I've said uh, before, and he will recall, uh, both in this House and elsewhere, I am truly sorry for the suffering that the, the people of this country uh, have experienced. But I maintain uh, my point that the government acted throughout uh, with the intention to save life and protect the NHS and in accordance with the best scientific advice. That's exactly what we did. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The evidence we've heard this morning is extraordinary, but sadly not surprising. It paints a familiar pattern of behaviour. A negligent Prime Minister more concerned with his own self-interest than the interests of the United Kingdom. When people were dying, the United Kingdom government was considering chicken pox parties and joking about injecting the Prime Minister with COVID live on TV. We had a circus act when we needed serious government. Isn't it the case that what the country needed leadership most, the Prime Minister was missing in action? Thousands have paid the ultimate price for his failure. When will the Prime Minister finally accept responsibility for the failures of his government? As I said repeatedly in the attacks, I take full responsibility for everything that the uh, government did and uh, will continue to do so. And one of the reasons we've set up an independent public inquiry is I believe the people of this country do deserve to have uh, daylight shone on all the issues he raised. I must say I don't uh, recognise the events that he, uh, that he describes, uh, but I do think that we acted throughout uh, with the intention of, uh, of, of saving life, uh, of protecting the NHS, and of taking the country through the worst pandemic uh, for 100 years. And I think, if he, if, I think it's also true uh, that we're in a, a much more fortunate position now, thanks to the efforts of the British people and the fastest vaccine rollout in, in Europe. And I'm, I'm grateful for that as well. Well, there we are. It's the first time this idea of uh, chickenpox parties and injecting himself with uh, coronavirus on TV were raised. In a, but unfortunately, as is Ian Blackford's style occasionally, in a broader series of questions and thoughts and points. <laughs> uh, although Boris Johnson did say, I don't recognise the events as he describes them. Uh, which, by which he presumably means the uh, the chicken pox party never I went ahead. So. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, much to Mark Sedwill's disappointment, if you believe Dominic Cummings. Really interesting to hear Ian Blackford of all people cite Dominic Cummings as, uh, and, and and indeed Keir Starmer. One of the weird quirks of this select committee testimony is that you're having people who, as you said earlier, w uh, have expended so much time and energy trying to dismiss <laughs> Dominic Cummings as beyond the pale as now a paragon of every possible virtue. Um, and honesty, but yes, I found what I, I think the probably the most significant bit of the prime minister's answer there was his his he, he, whenever he's faced one of these difficult questions, he issues that sort of blanket apology for upset caused, uh, claims full responsibility without necessarily accepting their version of events or their diagnosis of uh, the government's failings, and then deferring to the upcoming inquiry, which serves a very powerful political purpose. Uh, well, just while we've been uh, d uh, dipping into PMQs, Dominic Cummings, in the last few minutes, has admitted anyone leading the country through a global pandemic would have struggled. He said, I've been critical of the Prime Minister, but if you dropped, you know, Bill Gates or someone like that into that job on the 1st of March, 
the most competent people in the world you could possibly find. Any of them would have had a complete nightmare. There's no doubt the Prime Minister made some very bad misjudgments and got some very serious things wrong. It's also the case, there's no doubt, that he was extremely badly let down by the whole system. And it was a system failure, of which I include myself in that as well. I also failed. Bill, you know, that reference to Bill Gates is exactly what someone would say if they wanted to disguise the fact that he's controlling us all <laughs> via the vaccine. For the benefit of the tape, uh, Patrick is joking and <laughs> Bill Gates is not controlling you through your uh, vaccine. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.